This is Sam Torres, Texas Longhorn fan, native Austinite, admissions counselor, and your host with the most. And this is Texas 512. Heyman Marion Swint applied for admission to the University of Texas Law School in 1946, but was denied admission on the basis of race. Mr. Sweat, with the help and assistance of the NAACP, brought legal action against the university. In the landmark case Sweat v. Painter, the United States Supreme Court ruled that separate law school facilities could not provide a legal education equal to that available at the University of Texas Law School, one of the nation's ranking law schools. The Supreme Court ruling established an important precedent for the desegregation of graduate and professional schools. Challenging the separate but equal doctrine, the court affirmed Mr. Sweat's right to equal educational opportunity, and in 1950, he entered the University of Texas School of Law. The Sweat decision helped pave the way for African Americans' admission to formerly segregated colleges and universities across the nation, and led to the overturn of segregation by law in all levels of public education and the landmark case of Brown versus Board of Education four years later. Now, this summary does cover quite a bit of what his uh, basically what what Heman Sweat's um, legacy has essentially uh, caused for higher education throughout the years. And so I wanted to pretty much just ask you if there was anything in that summary that you wanted to elaborate on or maybe something that was missed in that short summary that that's of importance in, in what he was able to do for higher education for generations to come. Uh, one thing is, um, you know, it signals out human sweat and his heroic fight to desegregate the University of Texas at Austin. And that is, you know, he was indeed heroic and the university, I, I think, is going to recognize some of that heroism. Um, but it doesn't say anything about the sacrifices that uh, he made in order to be able to open up uh, the doors in the way that he did. Mm -hmm. So it took, you know, he, as it says here, he uh, applied for admission in 1946 and it wasn't until 1950 that he was finally admitted. Well, that means that there was four years in which he dedicated his life to uh, attempt to open up these doors. and then there was one year when he was a law student here. And along the way, he uh, lost his wife. Um, they split up under the pressures of the lawsuit and his being uh, I think under the pressures of the lawsuit. Uh, he lost his health. Uh, he uh, had a series of medical problems and medical collapses, et cetera. He made it only through one year of the law school and the dean of the law school in uh, his correspondence, you know, basically said it was because he was not uh, educationally prepared for the rigors of the UT law school, uh, which Mm -hmm. didn't have anything. In other words, he did admit the kinds of pressures, sacrifices, uh, mental and physical health problems that fighting the university for six years uh, can take on a person uh, and blamed his lack of success on him. So it's the ultimate sacrifice in that sense. Um, That doesn't get reflected in that short thing. The other thing that doesn't get reflected there is, is who was complicit in um, the struggle to keep uh, sweat out. Now, Painter gets much of the blame because his name is on the 
the Supreme Court decision. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is the power structure of the state um, was refused to allow the integration, the racial integration of the University of Texas. So this wasn't Painter's decision alone. It may not even been his his personal preference. But Painter was a compromised president. He was put into power with no process uh, by the Board of Regents uh, after they fired uh, Homer Rainey, who was the previous president of the university previous president of the University of Texas and who was accused of harboring communists, professors, and also queer faculty members and students. Um, and so they got rid of him and they put Painter in and Painter therefore was their creature. So Painter's effort to keep sweat out had to do with the power structure of the state, making sure that the University of Texas would be an all white, white supremacist institution. Right. It's organizing the other thing that this doesn't say it mentions the NAACP but the NAACP as an organization right um, was organized itself uh, was looking for um, candidates to help challenge uh, the segregation of professional schools in this country Heman Sweat volunteered for that role and it was heroes like Thurgood Marshall and Lulu White, who was uh, one of the NAACP leaders from um, from Houston, who actually waged the struggle alongside Sweat to, to open this up. And so the collective, uh, the collective of the NAACP and the collective of the black community in, um, in Texas uh, and the role that that collective played in opening up the University of Texas to racial desegregation um, doesn't show up in that either. Well, one of the things that, that you know also gets uh, ignored in a statement like this is that it wasn't the entire University of Texas right. that was against uh, desegregation. In other words, there were faculty members and students on the campus of the University of Texas who played a role in trying to pressure the university into opening up. And so just like today, the uh, the students, or at least a portion of the students and a portion of the faculty of the university were much more racially liberal than the state uh, power structure. And so um, it's not like the entire University of Texas was against human sweat. A significant and important portion of the university was all in favor of desegregation, but had to be... Um, hmm, suppressed that had to be suppressed by this you know the state's hierarchy and by the president and and his administration so that's something that doesn't get talked about much either um most people also don't recognize that and this statement does say that but don't recognize that it took another six years before undergraduates could come to the university of texas and it took 14 years from 1950 until either graduate students or undergraduate students who are black could stay on campus in an integrated dorm. Um, and so the Heman Sweat case, Heman Sweat, the Sweat versus Painter case, and the winning of the Sweat versus Painter case by Sweat and the NAACP was only the beginning of desegregation rather than an end of itself. Uh, it, it was an important precursor to the 1954 um, Brown versus Board of Education 
uh, decision, which basically desegregated schools at all levels in, in this country. Um, but again, it wasn't until 1964 that black students could stay in integrated dorms on campus and eat in the integrated cafeterias. Right. And, and, you know, besides desegregation of colleges and universities, um, do you think that this case had any other significant effects on higher education today or throughout the years? I, it, it certainly paved the way for um, higher education to understand that there are different kinds of knowledges that are associated with different kinds of positionalities. And let me explain by what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. So the integration of a, of a university like the University of Texas, in other words, permitting black bodies to be on campus, was only part of what it means to create a, a diverse and inclusive higher educational setting. What having more black people and more Latinx people and more Asian American people and more Native American people and, and more women on a campus like this also meant is that the different kind, the different position those alleys of those folks um, mean that there are different aspects of knowledge and aspects of reality that are important and different kinds of takes on the social processes that make those important. And so it it's not possible to have black studies or ethnic studies or any of these kinds of studies or the kinds of work that um, critical race theory, critical gender theory, critical, critical sexuality uh, work, et cetera, those were not possible until you got different kinds of bodies on the campus who could begin to push for those things and who also could... Um, begin to demonstrate that there are different ways of understanding the world that are important in a, an institutional higher education like this one. So that's that's one uh, other aspect of this. Uh, I, I think also the racial desegregation of the university also helped to lead to the uh, the opening up of the university uh, in a gendered sense as well. Um, for many years, the university, in fact, from its beginning, the University of Texas uh, included women as students. Mm-hmm. But women were generally restricted and even today are somewhat restricted to certain kinds of disciplines. And I think the opening up of the university in a racial sense also was an impetus um, for the opening up of the university in a gendered sense as well. That, that you know, women could be and should be welcome in all kinds of fields rather than in just some.